Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. Welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright. And I'm your co-host, Adam Scalina. How are you doing, Corey? I'm great. Yourself? How was your weekend? Uh, it was not too bad. Yeah, it was pretty good. I, I worked a bit, and then I had uh, one afternoon where we actually ended up at a park close to home, McLean Park. Vancouver Park's right now on a nice day. Crazy. Can't, can't beat them. It's, it's like the new nightclub, I think. It's like the closest <laughs> thing you can get to a nightclub, Vancouver Parks. <laughs> the Roxy closes down and, you know, you know, the sitting dude park is the new go-to. There's fights. There's people <laughs> drinking. It's uh, it's Granville Street it's like Granville, 2009. Yeah, Granville Street Live at your local park. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we have a fantastic show today. Who do we have as a guest, Corey? Today we have Derek McCoy, COO of the Real Estate Owners and Managers Insurance Group. And he does a great job. We talk all about insurance challenges. We know that marketplace has been very challenged. You hear a lot of it on the residential side. Right. Has it affected commercial? What asset classes are maybe more affected, less affected? Is this insurance challenge going to sort of go away? Is there new underwriters coming into our marketplace? So he breaks down all of that stuff to give us the best insight today and also what he sees moving forward. Right. And I, it's funny because in residential right now, it's like for the last couple of years, that's been the talk of the town is insurance. And it can have a huge impact on your investment, whether it's you're an end user or you're just an investor out looking for a revenue property. I always wonder if it affects the commercial market the same way. Has that been a big issue for you this year? Well, when you look at it from an underwriting perspective, and you can understand why, if I have a condo building, and we'll just say it's mixed use with retail on grade, right. and there's 200 people in the building, you've got a pretty open canvas there for potential insurance problems. And one right. thing that, that Derek makes mention of is in a large building, when a, uh, when a unit floods, it doesn't just affect that unit. It affects the 10 floors below it potentially. <laughs> so right. in commercial, you typically have your triple net leases where the tenant pays for the operating costs of the property, which is your strata fees and your insurances. So if those costs go up and that gets passed on to the tenant, although it's not affecting the bottom line of the landlord – it's affecting the amount of money that tenant now has to pay on a month-to-month basis with their rent. So it seeps into our world and it does cause problems there because if I'm a tenant and I'm running my coffee shop and I'm paying you $3,000 a month gross and then all of a sudden your insurance goes up and I'm now having to write you a check for thirty-three dollars or $3,400 a month, that's money for me as a tenant that I need to keep my business going. That's huge. That's now getting deferred to you. So yeah. it, it does affect in that. And he goes into all that stuff and the challenges they're seeing around the world and how a, a fire in Australia can affect insurance rates here in BC. Right, right. I'm really looking forward to this. I think it was you and Matt who did this interview yep. with Derek. So I'm super excited to listen in. Um, before we get to that, Corey, we do have a sponsorship today. We have our sponsor. Our, we're sponsored by Impact Commercial Group with over 50 years of lending experience for all your commercial lending needs. Please reach out to Impact Commercial at impactcommercial.ca. Fantastic. Well, without further ado, why don't we cut to our interview with Derek McCoy? It's a great one.
Okay, so we're here with Derek McCoy, Chief Operating Officer of Real Estate Owners and Managers Insurance Group. How you doing, Derek? Fantastic. I'm happy it's Friday. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, us as well, although it's like the start of my week, <laughs> unfortunately. But, uh, but yeah, thanks so much for taking the time today, Derek. Maybe can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay. I am a Vancouver boy, born and raised. There's not many of us left around here anymore. Um, I've been in the insurance game since the early 90s, so it's been uh, my career. And I have been with Romig from day one. I opened Romig about four, almost four years ago, almost five years ago, sorry. And it's going good. Insurance is a, it's not a very static industry. So it keeps me interested. I'm actually one of the very few people who are excited about the insurance industry. You're the first one I've met. (laughs) (laughs) And does the real estate Owners and Managers Insurance Group focus exclusively on commercial real estate, or do you guys look at other areas of insurance? At this point in time, our portfolio is 99% commercial. I do some, a couple of residential stratas here and there, but as far as the residential side, homeowners or tenants, that's a, a whole other ball game, which is certainly in our future, but just at this point in time, we are mostly commercial. Okay, great. You know, just thinking, Derek, we have another podcast called the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, and we've had people in the insurance world on our show a number of times over the last two years because of kind of the the dramatic changes to premiums and deductibles on the residential side. Are you seeing those types of changes on the commercial side? Are the markets related in that way? Um. At, you know, at at a 30,000 foot level, yes, they are somewhat tied together. We all have to buy our reinsurance from, from the same people. And so the, you know, the risk is spread amongst the book globally. So there's, there certainly are some, uh, they do dovetail each other in some ways. We are not seeing quite as drastic as it has been on the residential side. Not to say that there haven't been a few sticker shock renewal premiums for some of my commercial clients. But that started about two years ago, and I'd say it's. I'm kind of seeing a little bit of a leveling out. You know, mm. I haven't seen too many 300% increases in the past sort of six, seven, eight months, which I had seen before. It it was it was ridiculous. Can we unpack that a little bit? I know there's been a lot of uh, concern on the residential strata side with regards to these huge increases, but can we maybe unpack just a little bit? why these huge increases took place in the first place? And then maybe as a follow-up question, how has that impacted rates and costs on the commercial standpoint? Sure. Well, you know, globally, I know we all talk about the, you know, the disasters that have gone on globally, whether it be in the U.S. or in other parts of the world for these large insured catastrophes. And the payouts on these things are just, enormous. So, you know, insurance being you take the money from the many and spread it amongst the losses of the few, when you spread it out like that, when when the losses are so big, you know, everybody ends up feeling the effects of those payouts. And so it starts at the top and it just trickles down, trickles all the way down to the consumer. You know, the insurance is always reactive insurance policies. When something, when a catastrophe happens or there seems to be a trend in a certain area of losses, 
they put in clauses and restrictions, exclusions and what have you. And that's sort of what's happened over the last few years, especially on the residential side with water losses. And certainly that, again, it, it's had a, the knock-on effect has been that the commercial side of things have also been affected, yet not to the same extent but it you know water damage is always whether you're commercial or or residential water damage is always going to be your your biggest source of losses and so they are you know they're adjusting policies both for residential and commercial to sort of limit their liability limit their losses in certain areas and water damage has been the big one and sewer backup right just just thinking about this and I don't know if there if if there's an answer but but why has it why have the premiums and the impact been felt on the residential side more so than the commercial side like is there just a, a higher risk or a perceived higher risk or or why is that there is certainly less there's less capacity for residential especially on that strata side there's less insurers who have historically written it so there were just there was there was less less players in that field and because you had a certain amount of, you know, a smaller group that were insuring it, these ones were feeling the large amount of water losses right. that were happening. And so some got scared, you know, some exit the market, which again, there's less, causes even less competition, less capacity. And they just realized, hey, our losses are far exceeding are the premiums we're charging here. So something either has to something has to happen. We either need to reduce our risk or we need to charge more. And so it's sort of been a combination of those two. And I guess the concern is there's just so many hands in the cookie jar in a strata building where you might have 90 or 100 units that the greater opportunity for disaster or water leaks or fires are probably far away, maybe a small single house type of thing. And that's where the underwriters are just getting concerned. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Unfortunately, in in multi-story towers, it's never just one unit that gets affected by a pipe burst. It's the three, four, five below it, 10 below it. Elevators get affected. It's just, there's just so much, the size of those water damage claims are just so much bigger than if you have a town, row of townhouses single-family townhouses. And and so th- kind of moving or transitioning, I guess, to the field you, you work in, <laughs> now that we've got a primer for, for <laughs> yeah, residential. <but laughs> Matt, Matt's trying to tee you up to call you after to go on his show. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just wondering, can we talk a little bit about how, how the kind of hardening insurance market over the last couple of years has impacted commercial and the different types of asset classes and how that's impacted those different asset classes in the commercial landscape? Sure. Well, you know, wood frame has fallen victim to the change in the in the hardening market in the past couple of years, especially when you get, you know, an older building, older class uh, wood frame, no sprinklers. Sorry, uh, I was just going to say, Derek, this is uh, like purpose-built rental we're talking about, or when you say wood frame or, or just wood frame generally? Wood frame, well... Both, but if we're talking even from a from a commercial standpoint. Okay. Yeah, because you'd mentioned the commercial, so you know you certainly got your older stock out there, and that the capacity on that stuff has shrunk quite a bit, thereby triggering higher rates, higher deductibles, some insurers reducing their their capacity. You know where they used to write 100% of it, now they only want to write 50 or 40% of it. So you have to go out to other markets and fill that 
capacity to write that property. And then there are challenges there trying to get insurers to agree on a set premium for it. So, you know, you might be struggling for capacity. You need to take on secondary, third subscriber to that property policy, and they want more than the others. Well, that um, gets passed on down to the insured as well. So when you mentioned there about maybe having multiple, or if I heard you right, is there potentially multiple companies that would spread the risk around on one insurance policy? That's right. Diversification. It sounds like a nightmare if you're looking for insurance. <laughs> it can be. It certainly can be. Um, it just it takes you know just trying to match up everybody so that they all agree to the same terms. And sometimes when some of these policies, you can have a dozen different insurers all taking a small portion of it and they all want different things and it just takes a little while to negotiate all these things and make them all line up. When you're working with the underwriters, do they look at it from a commercial standpoint of a portfolio where they don't want to be over leveraged in one particular asset class, let's say maybe office? Do they look to try to spread their risk around through various asset classes? They do. That does occur when there is a bit of a hardening of the market. Sometimes you'll find some underwriters will, they used to write a particular class, say, where tenants are in food production. And now they go, actually, we've gone back to true underwriting and we no longer write anything to do with food production. So we have to pull out of that building. Interesting. And so with these increasing costs on the commercial side, for those listeners who are interested in commercial real estate, maybe not yet involved, and this might be a question more for Corey, potentially, I'm sure, Derek, you can feel this as well. Who pays these insurance costs? Is it the owner of the commercial building or is it the tenant? And who are you dealing with, I guess, Derek, to get these policies in place? Okay. Um, these costs are passed down through the tenant leases with um, so that, yeah, that the tenants do actually fund the insurance costs. And I myself deal with property managers who act obviously on, on behalf of their client, the landlords, the property owners. So in this case, and again, this is just kind of spelling it out. It sounds like if you're a tenant and you have a, a restaurant, you're not engaging folks like yourself, Derek, to get insurance. It's being passed down. This is the insurance. This is what it costs. And if you don't like it, tough luck. This is just a cost that you that you have to bear. Essentially, yes. Yeah, that's one thing to Derek's point there too is, is a lot of most commercial leases, more so than not, are triple net leases. And this is one of those costs that does get passed down onto the tenants as part of the operating budget for the year. So it's one thing from a landlord or a property manager standpoint, you're working as hard as you can to keep these costs as tight as possible because the more costs that are levied on top of the tenant, it just makes the tenant's business that much weaker and that much more exposed to the financial aspect of their business that you know landlords and property managers and underwriters and insurers work hard to try to keep these costs as tight as possible. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, a free-for-all. That's right. In your mind, Derek, what would an ideal commercial building look like from an insurance viewpoint, of course? Sure, sure. Well, obviously, the newer, the better. That's obvious. But anything younger than, you know, 30, 25, 30 years are, you know, they're okay. Concrete, obviously, because they're, you know, fire resistive. Concrete doesn't burn so well. Fully sprinklered, which, again, falls under the, you know, newer because most municipalities have 
sprinklers for commercial buildings as um, that's been a must for the past couple of decades. Um, obviously, anything to do with security, you know, monitored alarms, making sure that the buildings are fully tenanted. You know, vacancies can can draw unwanted visitors sometimes. So having them tenanted, obviously, nil losses, which come with a proactive risk management side of thing, which plays well into a professionally managed building. Professionally managed buildings have better loss ratios because they have people who are, again, proactive on the risk management side of things, making sure things are you know, repaired or replaced in a timely manner before a loss happens. Better to be proactive than reactive when a loss happens. And when you say professionally managed, you're referring to a professional management company that's been engaged correct. by the owner. That's correct. I'm just thinking in terms of mitigating risk here. So if you're buying, it sounds like there's kind of, you know, newer concrete. If you're in a situation in which you're trying to improve a building that you're already in, like how, how do you go about mitigating against increasing premiums and, and costs? Sure. So there are the things right now that insurers that they're, they're very strict on is they ask about because and again, this is mostly for aged stock. So if you got a building thirty years or older, nothing wrong with that. You can still get insurance, but the questions they're going to ask for are: Has the electrical been updated? When was it updated? When was the roof last replaced? When was the heating last updated or replaced? Or the plumbing? You know, these are the things that keep underwriters awake at night: is mm-hmm. aged piping, aged you know electrical aluminum wiring in the uh, building. So these are the things that they look for. And if you can show that these things are done on a regular basis or they're being planned, you know, they're in the capital project plan for the next year or whatever, because they're coming to the end of their lifespan, insurers are okay with this. They just want to make sure that you're doing your part on older buildings to maintain them, making sure that you have a snow removal contract in place every winter so that, you know, Snow is big because that's a real high liability risk. So there are things to do to, to mitigate against, you know, it's okay to own an older building. Just make sure that you're doing your due diligence and have a plan laid out for insurers that you can make them comfortable in providing A, insurance, and B, at a reasonable rate. And this is my favorite part of the brokerage side when the insurance broker acting on behalf of the purchaser sends you over a novel that's longer than the longest Canadian census report you've seen. And ask you to fill right. it out. So, <laughs> Derek, is there any areas that are maybe more vulnerable, good or bad, to insurance cost increases? Maybe let's say like an Nanaimo versus a Chilliwack. Is there any areas where underwriters are a little more concerned about and maybe areas that underwriters are a little bit more excited to insure? Yeah. Um, well, earthquake is a huge part of any property policy. And, you know, everybody knows that we have high, you know, earthquake models show certain parts of BC, especially the lower mainland, as higher risk than others. Anywhere down in the Delta, Richmond, that area, that earthquake is, um, you know, high deductibles. They charge higher rate for it down there. You've got some areas, say Chilliwack, where flooding, uh, flood modeling shows that it's high risk in its location to, to the river bodies of water. So, uh, the island is high on the earthquake modeling list. So those things play a huge part in um, the premiums charged. Anywhere inland, 
you know, the earthquake deductible goes down or they don't get charged as much because obviously earthquake is not as high a risk out there. So the, these things all certainly play a part in the, the rate that insured ends up paying in the end. And when you say inland, are you referring to like the lower mainland area or are you referring to more like the BC Okanagan area? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, more so, more the interior. So sell Victoria property, buy in Kelowna. <laughs> if only you want to pay cheaper earthquake insurance. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you ever find yourself in a situation or would a purchaser ever find themselves in a situation, maybe they've bought a property or are buying a property, say in Richmond, that might be much more vulnerable to earthquake insurance and them not being able to get it and then having an issue with the lender where the lender says, well, we require that and if you can't get that, we're not going to fund. Do you ever come across that where there's, there's challenges of getting certain coverages? I myself have never come across that. It may or may not have happened, but I wouldn't say as I've ever heard of it myself. Yeah, no, we've never encountered it from a brokerage standpoint, thank gosh. Right. Just thinking, so it sounds like the where the property is located impacts the insurance. Does the type of tenant impact the insurance as well? Yeah, it can. Certainly, you know, it, there would be um, on the, the low risk factor scale, you know, you would have professional tenants, dentists, chiropractors, office jobs, things like that. It's very low risk. Anytime that you have, say, um, a woodworking mill or furniture manufacturing or tenants who, you know, apply heat, welding, things like that, where they have a dust collection system with, a, you know, that where they're spraying things. You know, those that uh, catch the attention of the eye of an underwriter, they do bring with them inherent risks. Some will, you know, will excuse themselves from writing something like that because they just, their underwriting guidelines don't allow it. You know, lately, obviously, in the last couple of years, cannabis has become, it's, it's a growing industry in Canada. And, you know, a couple of years ago, you would get the door slammed in your face if you asked about cannabis insuring uh, cannabis tenants or, you know, if they, even if they owned a little small little footprint. In a big mall, the whole mall would be excluded from an insurer's risk appetite. The last couple of years, though, there's been a number of insurers that have come around. There's there's some specialty, you know, brokers that or underwriters that specialize in cannabis industry clients. So you can get it now. I know many are working. They understand it's something that they're going to come across more and more. So there are a lot of underwriters that are looking into getting know, a product in place for it. And basically, as long as the cannabis tenant, the business, if they have all their ducks in a row, if they have all their licensing approved from all levels of government, municipal, BC, Canadian, whatever it is, as long as they have all of that in place, generally, it insurers will, the ones who, who are looking at it, will accept it. Is there any risk if I'm a landlord and let's say I have a, a medical, or I guess it wouldn't be medical, I guess a, a legal cannabis store that wants to come in as a tenant, am I looking at any major severe increases in my insurance on that side of it? Or am I, is there any additional risks from the insurance standpoint that I need to be aware of before making that decision to go into that tenancy or that lease with the tenant? My experience is no. Again, as long as, they, um, as, long as they're ticking all the boxes and have all their permits in place, they should be good to go. And Derek, just thinking about cannabis generally, and it sounds like, you know, there's a changing norms or with it being legal now, but what are the the increased risks that insurers are worried about when it comes to to cannabis? I would say historically it has been what kind of 
clients. What kind of people are going to be coming around uh-huh. the property because of, again, the historical... Sure, that it was uh, illegal, illegal, right? Yeah. Of, yeah. That's exactly. But, you know, as, as it's become legal and things have become, you know, it's a business now. The fear isn't there as much as it as it was. I mean, I think we still got a little ways to go, but for the most part, it just doesn't. It's lost a bit of the stigma that it's had before. One thing we always hear about when we're dealing with insurance on the representing purchasers on the acquisition side that sort of gets asked quite a bit, and this will sort of segue into a future episode we'll have with an appraiser, is a replacement cost appraisal. Can you maybe explain a little bit more what a replacement cost appraisal is and how that's beneficial to a purchaser to get it in regards to getting a reduction potentially or maybe a more accurate insurance quote on the property they're buying? Sure. So when you insure your building, you obviously need to advise the insurer what it would cost to replace that building today. And if you were to just, you know, if you're a landlord or you're not in the business of construction, maybe you're not so educated on that. Underwriters don't want to tell you what value to insure. You tell them. So basically, unless you get an appraisal, it would be like throwing darts at a moving dartboard. You know, the chances of accuracy is going gonna, is gonna to be pretty tough. So you hire an appraiser, an appraisal company uh, to go and take a look and they look at Everything. They look at, um, you know, the current costs of, you know, what are the costs to rebuild that building today in terms of supplies? Look at lumber. Look how much that's gone up in the last year. That could very well add 30 percent. If it was a wood frame structure that you're replacing, that could be another 30 percent added on to the replacement cost. It looks at things like bylaws that maybe weren't in place at the time the original building was built. Maybe now it's, you know, it's a bit of an older building. Maybe now you need to include for underground parking. Maybe now you need to include sprinklers. Maybe now you need to include all these things that, you know, you need to build into the building that weren't there originally. An appraisal looks at those things and includes that in its evaluation. The great thing is, is you take that evaluation to an insurer and you both agree, hey, I'm comfortable with this amount that I'm insuring. Insurer says, yep, I'm comfortable with that amount. Let's go with that. Another good reason is that should you have a loss as the building owner and you're grossly underinsured, you have what's called a coinsurance clause kicks in, which means because you're grossly underinsured, Mr. Insured, even if you, if you have a total loss or a partial loss over and above your deductible, which is applicable, you're going to pay a portion of the loss because you know what? You didn't insure it enough. So we're going to make you become responsible for part of the dollar amount on that loss. So by having an agreed amount, both parties agree and that it's a fair amount. It's insured for that. And the client is, it's the best chance of insuring to value to make sure that they're not overpaying because you don't want to insure overinsured, then you're paying for insurance that you may not collect on. And on the other side, the underwriter is, is uh, comfortable with the amount that they're charging and they're applying a right rate to it, collecting an amount of premium for that rate class of building, and they're happy to. And when you say that if a building's grossly underinsured and the owner of the building is going to participate in the loss, would it be something to the effect of, let's say it costs $2 million to rebuild this building, 
And the underwriter says, you gross underinsured this. We're only going to give you $1.5 million, and you as the landowner are going to have to kick in 500000 because you were gross underinsured. Is that how that scenario would play itself out, hypothetically? Um, if a building... I mean, you would hope that a building would not be that far off grossly insured. You'd hope that that would be caught at the time of underwriting. But yeah, so if there's either a full, you know, total loss or partial loss, if at the time of adjusting that claim, the adjuster, you know, determines this building was too far under a threshold to be fully insured, we're going to go apply a certain percentage of the loss to the insured over and above what their deductible is. So in terms of would you ever have a $2 million replacement cost in a building that was insured for a million dollars, it would never get that big. But yes, the insured would certainly have to kick in a portion of the loss if they were found to be over the threshold of being underinsured. So in situations like the one we're in right now with significant inflation in certain segments like lumber, for instance, it sounds like right now is a, is a time in which you'd want to make sure that you're, when you're getting insurance, that your replacement costs are up to date. Right. Absolutely. And most appraisal companies will, you know, they'll do a three-year agreement. So, you know, in the following two years, you don't have to call them out. They just go automatically and do it and send you a copy of the updated appraisal, as well as your broker, your property manager, whoever else is involved on the insurance side of things. And it's really easy peasy. It's a sleep easy for all the parties involved. Maybe as a final question here, Derek, uh, you've been in the insurance business for a long time. Do you have any real horror stories? Anything that comes to mind? This is my favorite question. This is becoming Matt's <laughs> MO. Every guest, he just he grabs his popcorn and says, just spill the beans. <laughs> Horror stories. Maybe not with your client. One that one that you heard from somebody else. Hmm. <laughs> well, I have heard a few times over you know a number of times over the course of my career is that somebody provides the wrong construction details about a building to an underwriter, whether it be on purpose or completely accidental. A building is rated, let's say, for, I don't know, let's say, let's just, okay, I'll I'll make it extreme. I told that you tell the underwriter it was concrete building when actually it was a three-story wood frame with no sprinklers. So the completely different opposite, and you have a total loss. It just becomes an absolute nightmare for for the adjuster who's adjusting that claim. The insured obviously ends up storming and you know stomping his feet and getting upset because this isn't what I paid insurance for and it just never ends up well so making sure that underwriting is correct is so key when you're doing a building don't overlook insurance don't you know make sure you give it the attention it needs because the only time you're going to find out you don't have what you need is when you have a loss that's a truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> I'm going to go home and check all my insurance policies right now. <laughs> oh, we don't like it when you read your policy. <laughs> <laughs> Just, that's what Authentic signs for. Just sign here yeah. electronically. Thank you. Derek, we have, we have a, a six-question thing called the MLG six-pack. We're going to ask you six questions to get to better know you outside of the office. Do you have just a few more minutes for us? I sure do. The MLG Six Pack is sponsored by McKinnis Law Group. For all your commercial legal needs, from commercial leases to commercial transactions, please contact McKinnis Law Group at mlglaw.com.
www.thinkdigitalmarketing.ca. All right, Derek, we're going to get my chicken scratch out here and share with Matt so you can make sure you can try to read the questions. Uh, first question, favorite movie or TV show? I would have to say it doesn't matter that I've seen it 39 times. If Forrest Gump comes on any channel on TV <laughs> and I happen to stumble across it, it stays on that channel. <laughs> uh, that, that's great. I feel like that says a lot. Uh, I'm not sure what, but yeah, great, great, great movie. Great movie. The second question for you, Derek, favorite vacation spot? And this might be somewhere where you can go find a bubblegum shrimp, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favorite spot thus far has been Thailand. Wow. Good one. Good one. Favorite band or song? Kings of Leon, without a doubt. Oh, wow. That was probably the quickest answer we've ever had. <laughs> well, they are the only band or group left on my bucket list to see. Well, I don't, I don't want to ruin your day, but I've seen them live, and I didn't even care to see them. <laughs> And, and was they, it good? They were good. Really good. So really, yeah. really good show. I got kind of dragged awesome. to the show, and it was a great show. So I was very pleased to see it. Oh, uh, good stuff. Uh, do you have a, a favorite quote or, if you have to paraphrase, words to live by? Oh, I hope the audience is okay with this. Uh, life is too short for bad wine and bad relationships. I thought for sure that was going to be life was like a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you only asked for one, so that would, have been, that would have been number two. A book you would recommend our listeners to read, and it could be anything from a business book to an autobiography or anything in between. I really enjoyed the autobiography of Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, you know what? That is uh, – I haven't read it, but my brother raves about that book. Uh, it, it's it's fantastic. He's an interesting guy, and his his father was an interesting guy. I don't know if you know the backstory. No, I don't. No, uh, I only just read something about it last week about his, who his father was. Yeah, I can't even remember the details, but his dad was like this real Hollywood player, right? Yeah, that's right. Wow, like he grew up in a very unique situation. But anyway. We digress. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> last last well, question. If it's anything, you. I was listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers, no joke, on my way here. So, oh, hey, there you so go. It's, right. it's appropriate. Now get there. the book. It's yeah, on. I'm going to have to go read it now. <laughs> last question for you, Derek. One piece of advice you would give any of our listeners who are looking to get into commercial real estate? Make sure you're doing your due diligence with respect to inspections of the building. Make sure that it's a sound building. Because those little things become big things in the world of insurance. So just make sure that the building is up to snuff. Derek, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. How can our listeners find out more about you? Our website is obviously www.romig.ca. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time, Derek. And uh, man, I like these six packs. That gives us, uh, sounds like you're really into some pretty good music. Yeah, Californications <laughs> I was listening to on the way over. Oh, you know what? Actually, my neighbor says Californication for this weather, which uh, I think is, I don't know if that's applicable. but Yeah, she probably had some scar tissues from when she was younger. That's why. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, all right, Derek, thank Excellent. you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your weekend. Great. You as well. Take care. 
All right, guys, there you have it. Our interview with Derek McCoy, COO of the Real Estate Owners and Managers Insurance Group. Really enjoyed that conversation with Derek that you and Matt had. Yeah. Uh, I was a fly on the wall, but um, man, the chili peppers. Is yeah. that the band? Yeah. I, I, you know, who doesn't like the chili peppers? And it's right. one thing, too, that he, you know, Anthony Kiedis, who's the lead singer, actually right. apparently has a very, very interesting autobiography. So oh, I, yeah. Scar tissue. Yeah. So I, I downloaded it this morning, believe it or not. So after leaving that episode, after leaving the studio that day, right. listening to the Chili Peppers on the way home, I have to go download this book. No. I can say I'm, I'm about half a chapter in. Right. It's shaping up relatively interesting that I, I keep wanting to hear more now. It's actually, that's a great book. I've actually, I, I read that. It's, yeah. yeah, Scar Tissue, I think is the name of it. I actually just downloaded Kitchen Confidential, the Anthony Bourdain oh. book, which yeah. I hadn't read, but Matt recommended it. Apparently it's uh, pretty phenomenal though. I'm actually, it's weird. I, I feel like I listen to a lot of business books, yeah. but lately maybe it's just burnout and the way the market's been, but <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of autobiographies. Pretty soon I'll be like uh, gone with the wind in my yeah. car. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I don't know if we're going there yet, but. Well, uh, again, I, I try to get the Robert Munch books, the, yeah. ju- just the picture ones with no <laughs> words, but I can't find them on Audible. So I struggle to find the next one for me. You, you got to turn your talk. brain off so, somehow. Uh, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I'm not listening to you guys, it's Audible every time. <laughs> well, what else do we have for today, Corey, before we sign off. First of all, what just a quick update. Any Anything you want to talk about in the commercial real estate market? Well, we got that exciting project we've talked to over there coming up in Langford there that we actually have VIP access for those who can reach out to us through the show here. Right. You know, that's going to be coming to market probably in the next couple of weeks. I know they're just trying to fine tuning a little bit there. But the exciting thing over there is they've got one of the lowest vacancy rates in that asset class, in all of North America, which is less than 1%. And when you actually get into the the Langford proper area, it's actually less than 0.2% in that area because there's literally no inventory, like literally. And what we're finding is, you know, Langford is almost shaping up to kind of be like a logistics hub almost Mm. for all of Vancouver Island. And in the industrial markets, the halo effect really plays in. That's why you sort of see more and more industrial getting built around more industrial, but it all fills up versus in retail, you mean you might compress and keep compiling retail and then you might start to see vacancies kind of pop up here and there because there's almost an oversupply. Industrial right now in this province doesn't exist. So Langford, great opportunity there. You can reach out to us for it, or you can visit us at the Vancouver real estate podcast.com where we have all the VIP links there. And so just so I understand the halo effect of, yeah. of industrial. So you, you mean that basically it could become like soon enough in area where there's a lot of industrial, yeah. people will continue to build industrial. It will continue to kind of service yeah. as the main hub and, and grow as a region where people are expecting to move their businesses potentially. Exactly. Yeah. Because you, you find that, that, other businesses will benefit from other businesses around it. Right. And when in an industrial, one of the biggest things is the logistic aspect of it. How quickly can I get to a major highway? Whatever major utility ar- arteries I can get onto? How close am I am to an airport? So, I mean, that's why you start to see like that halo effect kick in where it just, it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. And people almost wait for that. Oh, that's too much. There's going to be vacancy problems. But right now in the asset class all over this province, you have almost zero vacancy to pull from with some of the lowest vacancy rates in all of North America found here in BC. So it's it's the the concern of an oversaturated market is not really a concern. At, at this stage, no. And I think the pandemic is going to continue to push us down that road where so many businesses had to pivot and have gone to online presences. And usually when businesses go to that, they end up in the industrial stuff because they don't need to pay for office space. They right. don't need retail footprints. So they go into the industrial markets, which is a little bit cheaper. 
get more bang for their buck on the leasing aspect. So I think you're seeing more and more tenants getting pushed that way. On top of that, when cities are looking to create more housing, old industrial areas are prime opportunities because you have such huge lots that you might take a small three, four, five thousand square foot building out on a 20,000 square foot lot, and you might have the ability to put up 100 homes. Right. So right. you mean shrinking supply, tenant demand increasing rapidly. You know, it, it's, it's and a, COVID a, almost yeah. acting as like a steroid injection oh, it, into industrial, right? The problem industrial pre-COVID was a challenging aspect for a tenant. COVID has just put fuel on the fire, right? Where it's become that much more challenging, and I don't really foresee that changing, at least not in the near future. And I think one thing too, potentially that this could have taught us, is you might look at North American manufacturing increasing, and by that I mean companies that may have done a lot of manufacturing overseas might have run through supply chain problems right. with shutdowns over there, that they actually might start looking at, is it worth us paying a little bit more to manufacture the product here, either in Canada or in the States, where we feel we have a little bit more control over and we're not dealing with maybe the foreign entities over there, where if we run into supply problems, that's going to dramatically affect their sales. Right, right. Just thinking about when you're talking to new purchasers or your team's talking to new purchasers, would you say industrial is like the number one class that you're approached about? Yeah, right now it is. And it was like I said, for the past couple of years it's been, and also it has the biggest percentage of owner occupiers in it. And that, that is referring to people that actually own their own space. Right. So all of that coupled, it's, it's on every single phone call we have every single day and around the various offices, it's almost a running joke that when people call and they see a listing, it's, let me guess, it's filled, right? And yeah. then the, the answer is nine times out of 10, yes, it is. And if it's not, I mean, you've got multiple people running and calling clients to say, hey, we found one. Let's get on it. So it's it's the number it's, one call we get right now. So it's a, it's a good thing to own, in other words. 100%, almost bulletproof. Recession-proof, too. Pandemic-proof almost, it feels like, as well. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of proofs. All right, well, maybe we'll cut for the day, but how can people find out more about William Wright? Yeah, people can visit us at williamwright.ca. They're welcome to email me anytime at cory, at C-O-R-Y, at williamwright.ca. And if you're looking to, to buy commercial real estate, sell your commercial real estate, maybe you're a tenant looking for a new space or a landlord that you got some vacancy, reach out to us. We'll put you in touch with the best broker in the best marketplaces that can service your product. Excellent. And Adam, where can everyone find our episodes of the Commercial Real Estate Podcast? Yeah, absolutely. You can head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We've got everything over there that is real estate related from residential to commercial real estate. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We've also got the Live Wire, which is a weekly mailer that's going out every week. We'll be featuring a lot of deals in both the residential and the commercial market. We've got Deal of the Month. And of course, right now, we're featuring the VIP for the Langford Industrial Space, if Correct. you're interested. So there's no reason to really not be on the live wire. It's, a, it's just a great mail out that happens once a week. You get a lot of information. You get the stats that nobody else has. And of course, on our website, we've got PCS. And of course, if you're not using PCS, you're standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. It's a great resource. And of course, if you're looking for commercial real estate, get in touch with William Wright because... Yep. Well, it's it's different. It's it's you don't it's, you don't have a a standard MLS system. No, that, no. It's it's one of the, it's one of those marketplaces where you know you almost you know so much of the product trades or leases out through off market transactions or exclusive right. listings. So there's not really one MLS system you can go to to find all the products. So having a broker working hard on the inside to find you what you need when it comes available is the best way and sometimes the only way to get what you're after. Absolutely. 
Before we go, I think we should also thank all of our listeners. You mean this show has just exploded with popularity yeah. and, we, and people are sharing it all over social media and we appreciate all that. So we just like to thank everyone for doing that and all the, the people writing us the five-star reviews on Apple there has just been great. And we're on the charts again, top 100 on Business iTunes Canada and uh, we're continuing to be there. So we really appreciate the support. I don't know who we're paying over at Apple, but every week we seem to just sort of get a little bit higher. It's on shocking. It I is. have one grandma and, yeah. and somehow, you know. Well, I, I can only download the episode so many times through so many various fake accounts I've set up. Yeah, so well, we're, this we're is running the thing. out. <laughs> this is the thing. We're running out of people. Keep sharing and appreciate it. We'll see you back next week. Have a great week, guys. Subscribe today.